This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. From MPB Think Radio, this is In Legal Terms, the show all about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Hello, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz. It's, it's great pleasure to be here this morning with you, Liz. I hope everybody's staying dry, but good to get the rain. And today we are really excited and honored to welcome Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman to the, to the show um, and back to the show because you, you've been a, a frequent guest. Um, you have spent, uh, Lieutenant Governor, good morning. Uh, good morning. Uh, most of your career as a public servant. Would you please tell us a little bit about your background and why you chose a career in public service? Well, um, actually, that's inaccurate, and thank goodness. And uh, I was, uh, my background, went to university, grew up in Vicksburg, Mississippi, and went to University of Notre Dame with a business degree, and then to the, um, into the Army, then to University of Mississippi Law School, and then to NYU for a tax degree. And for 36 years, I, pa- I pa- practiced uh, basically business law in Mississippi. And so I had uh, a longer term in the private sector. And the reason I, I, I tell you that is I think that's really important. Um, right now, we're running Mississippi's government like a business, just like we were when we ran our, our law firm like a business. So I, I think really the uh, the fact that I was longer and didn't really come into politics until really in the late 50s uh, when I was over 50 years old. I thought that was very helpful, and I encourage young people when they talk about, I want to get in politics, I say, well, first thing you need is get a job because you only bring to the Senate or the House or to leadership in your county or city, you only bring your life experiences with it. And so it's very important, I think, for young people to, when they say, I want to be in politics or get a political science degree from a good university like yours, uh, that they go out and get a job and get some experience on what it's like to work for somebody, what it's like to work with somebody, what it's like to do a budget, what it's like to all the other things that, that come really are microcosms of what goes on in state government. Before you were elected as lieutenant governor, you mm-hmm. served as our Mississippi Secretary of State. I, you know, those are, I, is the only thing they have in common that they're elected offices or what are some of the things that are, are different or the same? Well, it was a little, that's how I got into this, actually. Um, um, came home and told my wife that uh, the LLC laws and the business laws in Mississippi were just archaic, and we were at that point in the career that um, that maybe we could take four years off and go re- rewrite the business laws, which is what I had been doing for 30, 36 years at that point. And, of course, after she got over the part about how dumb I was uh, to do that, but um, she's been very supportive, and, and, and that evolved into rewriting all the securities laws. The limited liability laws in Mississippi are really exemplary. Um, when we started, there was like 100,000 on the books, and we wiped out down to about 40,000 that weren't being used. And now I think there are 150,000 limited liability companies in Mississippi and we had that led us to public lands, and we um, we managed six hundred thousand acres of uh, property. And I, I thought the public space was really important, so we started acquiring property for state ownership. And uh, we acquired Cat Island. We acquired three thousand acres at the mouth of the Pearl River. 
17,000 acres in, in north of Vicksburg um, and bottom, water, waterland, bottomland hardwood that probably is irreplaceable. And so I really got into um, the Office of Secretary of State, which is an administrative office for securities and uh, business services, charities, those kinds of things. And we re- rewrote all those laws and got heavily involved in uh, raising money for school. All the 16th section land we own, uh, the money goes to school kids. And I got that up to almost $100 million a year in revenue, all of which went to educating children. So that was it was very... Um, it's very different. We were, man- we were managing an administrative agency with about um, a little less than 100 employees, maybe about 95 employees. And so <clears throat> now <laughs> that are, are you're not in admit, you don't have an agency that you administer anymore. No, I've got 100. I think I've got 204 of them now. Um, we, um, we have a very small staff, six people. In the, in the lieutenant governor's office, but we basically are full-time operation uh, 24-7 most times. And we are we're looking at all the budgets for everything. Um, and I, I've tried to make a part of going to different agencies. I went to Child Protective Services and walked through, talked to the people that are running that, uh, Department of Mental Health, uh, Mississippi Department of Transportation, Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, our parks were just abysmal, and we've devoted a lot of money this last year to getting the parks back up to something you'd be willing to take your grandchildren to. And so we got we really have oversight of those from the fact that we do their legislative agenda and their budget. So that's how we work with all of these state agencies. I don't really hire and fire any but six people, I think, but the rest of them uh, usually pay attention when we when we start talking to them about what they're doing and whatnot. And we've made some pretty some pretty radical shifts in how we're running the government. Come budget time, you've got 106 friends. I do. I have 106 <laughs> new friends. Uh, they're lined up down the Capitol halls and stuff. So we're, um, yeah, we're real pleased to have the have the ability to work with them. We got we got some really good state employees that that do their jobs, and we want to make sure they do those as economically as possible, and then also arm them with their proper legislative authority. Pretty interesting, really, to be on this side. And the lieutenant governor is the most unusual in the country, this particular office is, because it is both in the executive branch and the legislative branch. And that no one, none of my other lieutenant governors, when I see them around or at the national meeting or whatever, they really don't have anything like we have. Uh, that's just been really a uh, morphed out of history to be in this structure. But I'm president of the Senate, and the lieutenant governor is. That means I conduct the Senate during during the negotiations of, that we do on legislation, I only vote in the event that there's a tie. So I don't vote there, but I, I, I basically run it as a referee of the Senate. Um, we have very strict rules about that. But I also appoint all of the chairmen of the various committees and all the members of the committees. And then we allocate where all the laws go to which committee it goes to. So it's um, a very strong position Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. I guess in our national legislature, Professor Gershon, remind me, in our national legislature, it's the party that decides, but in Mississippi, it's you in the Senate. Basically, in the Senate side, yeah. And and that's adopted by the senators the first day of the new, every four years, they adopt the rules. And under the rules, the lieutenant governor is given these specific powers to do. And, uh, of course, it's pretty daunting when you think about we have about a thousand bills maybe get filed at one time or another. We pass about two hundred or more of those. 
We passed a $6 billion budget. So there's a lot of preparation that goes into the into the game time of the session, which is only 90 days. So we're, um, now our position, no other lieutenant, like the lieutenant governor in, um, in Louisiana is in charge of tourism. That's it. The lieutenant governor in uh, Tennessee is picked by the Senate and not, he didn't run for a statewide office or anything. So you have all of these different um, different duties around, but uh, in, in Mississippi, because of the way the Senate has operated historically, um, they give a lot of authority to the lieutenant governor, and of course that's, that's something you do, we want to be very particular in. We try to be as, as uh, welcoming to everyone as we can, but it's a pretty strong position to be in. See, this is why we wanted to have you here. We <laughs> we need you to to educate us, to let us know. Um, you know, a lot of lot of us. It's been a while since civics. I didn't grow up in Mississippi, right. so I didn't get my Mississippi civics class. So that's why we've got you here today. In case someone has a specific question about our legislature or what the Senate has done this last session or what it's going on the next session, that's what we'd like to talk about today. Send us your questions to our email address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. We are discussing all about the Mississippi legislature, the Senate, with Mississippi's Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. So when will the Mississippi legislature be next in session? I'm going to tell you that next. Now, not everybody has a chance to listen to our show live. So if you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show in legal terms dot mpbonline.org. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. So the 2023 regular session of the Mississippi Legislature convenes at noon on Tuesday, January the 3rd, 2023. That is the first Tuesday after the first Monday in January. And it lasts 90 days this year. They give you guys a, a few extra days when the, the new newbies come. But this isn't an election year for our representative and our senators in the legislature. So it's only 90 days. 90 days. And we hope very much if things will go well, it will be through early. Oh, well, that's good to know. We have a full bank of calls for individuals who, uh, well, Mississippians, although it could be uh, someone from Tennessee, Alabama, Louisiana, and Arkansas, because that's where all our signal is. Oh, and yeah, Professor, uh, uh, Lieutenant Governor, we also have a, a caller who frequently calls in from Peru. He, Fantastic. Uh, he I've listens, been to Peru. He listens online. And, you know, we have a, people from Alaska, Georgia. Outstanding. Who, who they all need to, to move us. here right away. All over. All right. Well, let's go first to Sarah in Jackson. Sarah, we're glad you've called in today. What's your comment or question for our guest, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman? Well, thank you for taking my call. Um, I hope you all can hear me. I'm on the road to Oxford. Um, my question is about the vote that gave $10 million from the ARPA um, grant, I believe, that was going to private schools instead of public schools. And I know that was blocked by a judge, but I just wanted to get um, Mr. Hosman's thoughts on why that vote might have gone to private schools 
instead and if he thinks there will be an appeal to overturn that block. Well, on the on the first part, um, the about over a little over ninety percent of our money goes to on education goes to public schools. The remaining are in parochial schools or private schools of some sort or another. And um, the argument at the Capitol, I'll tell you what it is, uh, the argument at the Capitol is that uh, by educating those children, that's less expensive for the public education uh, individuals to be um, less expensive for public education by having private schools or parochial schools or some other type of school uh, actually doing the work charter and other schools that we've got. Uh, the lower court did throw that out. I don't know that it w- whether it'll be appealed or not, uh, but I think the court, the lower court, was pretty clear that that was unconstitutional. And um, absent uh, some Supreme Court overruling that, the legislature we still have a three-part government. If it's unconstitutional, then I don't anticipate that that will occur again. Hey, thank you. I was really shocked to see that. Um, the public schools didn't get that money. I was so disappointed and thrilled to see that it was deemed unconstitutional. And I hope that you will and Ms. Lynch will not um, try to appeal that. So thank you for taking my call. I appreciate that. But I do want to correct you on one thing. We gave the largest teacher pay raise in the history of Mississippi $246 million last year. Uh, we have been... This is probably on a rainy day, a bad scenario, but we are pouring money into education. That is the future of Mississippi, and you're seeing that not only in our teacher pay raise, but you will see other actions this year on MAEP formulas. You'll see other actions on we did a school building fund. Um, We have spent a a whole lot of uh, our capital and will again this year on uh, education, on public education. Uh, like I said, over 90% of our kids go in public education. If they don't succeed, nothing succeeds. And we are working on uh, all kinds of events that go through that. Um, we're having hearings right now on zero to three. I have doubled every year there the early learning collaboratives and the money that we give for, for kids to come to school earlier. Uh, I intend to double it again this year. We have about 6,000 kids out of 20,000 that are, that are currently benefiting from going to a public school and getting getting an accel- acceleration on their education experience. And uh, we've been doubling that every year. We're going to double it again this year. So um, you shouldn't think, uh, with, uh, with all due respect, $10 million is a lot of money where I come from, Warren County. Uh, but I don't want that to taint the fact that we have been the most aggressive economic contributor to public education in the history of the state. Thank okay. you, Sarah. We appreciate you calling in. Yes, yeah, Sarah, thank you so much for that call. And Lieutenant Governor, thank you for your answer. I, as, a, as someone who is the father of a, uh, a public school teacher uh, in Mississippi, we appreciate uh, the money that has gone uh, to the to the public schools. But uh, Sarah, you know, uh, you should listen next week when uh, Democracy Forward uh, will be here. The lawyers who worked with Democracy Forward on the case that you were talking about will be our guests. So um, we'll uh, have more about that, um, that case uh, next week. Richard, we've got three more calls. Let's go to Ethel in Flowood. Ethel, we're glad you've called in today. What's your comment or question to speak with our guest, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman, about? Yes, well, thank you again for taking my call. And I have two things I want to say. One, I was so 
uh, pleased and proud to hear uh, Mr. Hoseman say, uh, explain his support and continued support and future support for public education, which is, to me, one of the most important things we can do in this state. And I really appreciate that. And you will never have me begrudge any money going into public education. So I'm I'm thrilled to hear of your support for that. Number two, I would like uh, someone to explain to me. I know that Mississippi uh, denied the uh, federal funds that were offered for Medicaid. And is that from denial from the legislature or is that from the governor or both? And what's the chance that that because in my understanding, that helps the people who most need it. And, you know, since we have, uh, we want more Mississippians to be mothers, we've got to give them a lot more support. A lot the people who are really poor need a lot of support, not just having a baby, but after having a baby, you know, six, eight, 12 weeks, you just need a lot of support when you have your a baby, as, as folks know, and, and, and I, I really wish we could supply that and more health care benefits for people. So thank you very much. Well, let me first, I hope this it stays recorded somewhere. Um, let me first tell you that I was at the hospital last night with um, my, for the birth of my eighth grandchild. And uh, Bobby has, uh, Robert has joined uh, the state of Mississippi last night about six o'clock. And I was by there early this morning to um, see how he was doing, and which is fine, and speak to his mom. Last year, the Senate voted three different occasions to pass postpartum extension till 12 months. Georgia, Tennessee, other states have done that. That legislation would cost the state of Mississippi about $7 million a year and would produce about $32 million a year in revenue for the various hospitals, which are struggling. That's a whole other issue, but they're struggling a lot right now. I, I, I cannot justify in my own mind uh, that we're going to be pro-life and not pro-child. As, yes, as, exactly. As part of that, uh, I've asked Senator Nicole Boyd from Oxford, to do a birth to three-year-old commission and committee hearing. She's had two of those. I was working with her yesterday at the Capitol. She has two more. There's all archived. We we video everything. You can look them up. And, of course, we the first ones out of the box was the Department of Health and others, and, and we have the highest infant mortality rate. We have the highest mom mortality rate. We have just... The whatever scale you want to put it on, we're we're at the bottom. Mars, Doctor Edney, famously said, "We're we're not just behind; we're behind by a mile." Postpartum is a key component to that. To me, um, the fact that that mom has access to health care, just as other southern states have already done, has health care uh, available to her, means to me that you have health care available to the baby. And if she's not available, if it's not available for her, then the likelihood may be that the baby doesn't get there. So I, I'm really concerned that, that there's some economics here, but we've got uh, 1.5 billion dollars in in the, in, the, in the treasury right now because we cut our budget and we've been good stewards of your money. 
And $7 million, quite frankly, is, is relatively minuscule. So on that particular issue, I anticipate the Senate will pass it again. I'm very hopeful that the House will pass it as well. The governor has not had an opportunity to sign it or veto. That will be his decision when it gets there. But to me, that's, that's something we should start right away. There are other problems with health care um, on the reimbursement side, and I don't want to you know, spend the whole story on that. But in meeting with our hospitals recently in the last month or so, they're showing somewhere around $600 million in losses this year. Uh, the uh, compensation for nurses has increased. The uh, compensation or the cost for everything else has increased, and they have remained with a flat reimbursement schedule, which is any of you that work for a living or own a business will know that doesn't work. And so with that, um, we are facing significant losses of hospitals, possibly one in Greenwood before the end of the year. Uh, all of those involve uh, economics, uh, obviously, and how we fund those, what, whatever the, whatever the ma- mantra would be, federal, state, or however, is going to be a point of discussion, I think, this legislative session again, because you're, it, it's, and like in most things, it, it doesn't, re- it becomes a national issue until such time as it's your hospital. When it's your hospital, then all of a sudden you got a problem. And you're going to see, um, I probably have met with at least half a dozen of them that are teetering um, uh, on whether or not they make it or not. So we we will have to uh, we will have to address the economics of uh, health care and how that goes. In my mind, postpartum is a critical part, but after that, we've got other problems we need to address. Ethel, we appreciate you calling in. Um, Lieutenant Governor Hoseman, you know, we've talked on our show before of the importance that your rights are determined by your senators and legislators. Give us the insight. Are, are senators receptive if we call our senator and say, hey, I'm in your district? <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I think we should do X, Y, Z. Do they do they listen or do they just go, oh, man, here's another one? No, I will tell you. And um, having worked with these senators for now, I guess, 15 years, um, if they get five phone calls, it's a landslide. OK, so I'm, I'm just telling you, absolutely. Uh, most all of them will respond to your email or your text. Uh, they are available every day in, in the session, and some of those are dragging on about bills that you know may not have as much interest. And you'll see them replying to emails and texts back at their desk as they work in, in the Senate. And I would encourage everyone to contact your senator about what and your member of the House as well about what you think is important and how this ought to go uh, on any issue. Uh, we've got ARPA money that we're still spending, American Rescue Plan money, that we saved $350 million of last year. Um, we've got other uh, other issues that we're going to address this year. I, w- I would love to have everybody's opinion. And um, those um, don't always have to be negative. I mean, you can call and say, I, I appreciate your vote on so-and-so. I think you did the right thing. I'd, they love to hear that. But they also want to hear your opinion on matters that are pending. Our schedule is printed. Our, our, all of our Senate deba- debates and our committee hearings are all online. You can watch all that. So call your senator. They, they would like to hear from you. And um, they, I, that's what I and everyone else, we, we try to pay attention to those. Um, 
we, we basically work for the people of Mississippi, so uh, we like to listen to them. All right. So, uh, Professor Gershon, on one of our next shows, instead of giving our call-in number, maybe we'll give the Senate switchboard number. <laughs> it's public. You can go on there and look at it. Instead of giving out our email address, we'll just start giving out all of the uh, senators' email addresses to get folks to encourage them to contact their elected representative. Today, we're giving out our email address. That is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're talking with our lieutenant governor of the great state of Mississippi, Delbert Hoseman, about what's going on in the Senate, what's going to go on in the Senate. And if you would like to watch the legislature in action, I'm going to tell you how next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We hope that you'll subscribe to our podcast or find all of the MPB Think Radio recordings at mpbonline.org slash radio. This morning, we're talking with our Lieutenant Governor, Delbert Hoseman, about what's going on in the state, what's going to go on on the state. We are going to, we're taking some phone calls. We want to remind everybody that during legislative sessions, visitors can visit the Senate and the House of Representatives. Ooh, when Absolutely. we had the Mississippi Book Festival, I, I took the tour up there and I got to s- sit in the gallery and peek down at what was cool, going really. on. It's a lovely facility, yep. lovely. Oh, that stained glass is just gorgeous up there in the ceiling. So the, the public galleries are accessible from the fourth floor of the Capitol. Visitors are asked to silence any electronic devices while in the galleries, and they but they can't take photographs during it. So we uh, it, that's just a, a lovely place. So if you haven't gone to see the the building, ooh, MPB did a great little uh, documentary right, tour of right. the, the Capitol, and we'd love for you to watch that too. Hey, I'll put a link to that in the show information for this show. All right, let's go to the phones and talk with Todd from Jackson. Todd, we're glad you've called in today. Our guest is Lieutenant... G- Governor Delbert Hoseman, we're so happy to have him with us. What's your comment or question? Uh, I have a two-part question regarding health care, and uh, I would ask them both from the Lieutenant Governor's business and his business law perspective. Uh, the first one would be um, what the rationale he would see for the state to continue to reject uh, Medicare expansion. The second question would be, does he have any perspective he wants to offer on the um, uh, University of Mississippi Medical Center uh, problems dispute with Blue Cross Blue Shield. I, I was wondering if, if, as an elected state official, does that in any way also impact him um, with regard to Blue Cross Blue Shield and the University of Mississippi Medical Center? I'll, I'll, take, my, uh, I'll take my answer offline. Thanks, Todd. All right, let's start with the second one first. Um, it should be no secret that I'm very disappointed in the University of Mississippi Medical Center and Blue Cross Blue Shield. Um, this has gone on way too long. Uh, Commissioner Cheney has been very, um, Commissioner of Insurance Cheney has been very specific about how he feels about this, that we've kind of lost sight of who we're supposed to be serving here. And um, I join him in those comments. So um, it is it has gone on too long. That is a negotiation between a state agency and a private entity. So typically there's not room here for the legislature to get involved in, in such matters. Um, 
but I, I anticipate really consequences to each of them as this continues on. Uh, we we have children that are having to go to Laboner and this kind of thing in Memphis, and it's inconvenient and uh, bad health care. So I, I don't know anybody that's happy about this, uh, probably either one of them. Uh, but I, I, I can assure you in the legislature and among the members of the Senate that I've spoken with, they're, they're receiving repeated phone calls from people who are um, not being served by the entity in which we fund to be serving them or, to, um, or the insurance company that is funded to be covering them. Having said that, uh, as nicely as I can, uh, you get over to the uh, utilization of um, health care and expenses for health care. This is a, uh, a very difficult topic, Todd, and I'm, I'm going to try to synthesize this some down. In the position that Mississippi is right now, we, we are losing money whether or not we had some kind of expansion or not. The delivery of health care services in the old bricks-and-mortar uh, purview like I grew up in where you had a large hospital that was a center of, what, 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 of medical care is not the, the methodology for today. For example, if you go to get your knee scoped or something, all the orthopedic surgeons have their own private operating rooms, their own private stuff, and colonoscopies or heart, you know, heart deals or whatever you're doing that used to be in a hospital setting is no longer being done there. It's being done on outpatient. And in fact, in some instances, some of these are being sold to private equity groups. So health care has moved way beyond um, the traditional way that I knew it, which was growing up with a major hospital. I went there for shots and everything else. That's not, that's not going to be the answer here. Where what we really have to do, and I was meeting with Dr. Eddie and them on this very point yesterday, is determine how we're going to deliver health care to our citizens in the most economical way and with the greatest coverage for what is necessary, primary health care, the OBGYN, the hearts, uh, that, those kinds of things that we expect to be within some reasonable distance of where you are. Now, to do that, we're, we're going to have to look at the whole way we're delivering health care. And that is way beyond coming up right now. I think we're getting reimbursed at like 84% or something. And we're looking at other reimbursement models uh, to, to assist the hospitals. Uh, met with them about a month ago about that. But that, that really is a triage or a Band-Aid on, the, on not facing the realistic um, operation that, that health care is going to be delivered differently. And um, I, have, I have been working with FQHCs and other, other delivery of healthcare professionals on how we would do that. Uh, that's the long-term solution. The short-term solution is this, short-term economics. But if we prop up an, uh, a non-economic uh, method of operation or doing business, it's going to fail later. So I think it's time for a really realistic expectation. And you see... Uh, like in England, I think 39 or 40 percent of people now have private pay in England, and you have a year to wait for any kind of operation or whatever. Our people are not going to put up with that. They're they're not going to wait a year to do to do whatever uh, that needs to be done, and the quality is maybe questionable. And so people buy private insurance, and then you end up by having. Um, the individuals who may not have the economics to afford private insurance being left literally out in out in the cold over a period of time. So we we I, I know that's a longer 
uh, question, we got a bigger problem than picking up another 5% of, of reimbursement here. And I think it's time to realize that. And I, I anticipate that we'll be addressing that this coming, this coming session. Some of it you'll see in the work that Senator Boyd is doing on uh, how we address the reimbursement model for adoptions and other things. So you'll, you'll see some other health care things, but uh, to use the, the old saying, the elephant in the rule is the economic model that we're operating our hospital on is not working. It is, it is really devastating. You're going to have hospital closures some by the end of the year, and that model has to be Really, the bright light needs to be thrown on it, and we need to decide if this is the way we're going to go. Now, once you do that, then I think the funding uh, really is a result of that, not a cause of it. So that's a longer explanation, Todd, and I, it's very sophisticated. What we're dealing with is a multi-billion dollar. We, we, we put up a billion dollars a year. The Fed's put up about $4 billion a year on this. It is a huge operation. Uh, it is very sensitive to public opinion. Uh, everybody wants their health care as quickly as they can, particularly in an emergency situation or pregnancy situation or problem, you know, catastrophic situation. So we've, we've got a lot of balancing to do, but I don't think we have our, our model set up right right now. Thanks, Todd, for that question. Let's go to Charles in Jackson. Charles, we're glad you've called in and have been holding for new grandpa, uh, like Lieutenant uh, Governor Delbert Hoseman. What's your comment or question? Good morning, uh, Mr. Lieutenant Governor. Uh, I have two questions. You mentioned earlier about the $6 billion budget that the state of Mississippi has. And I've also seen some number that said that the state spends roughly about $20 billion, uh, and that you know that's a combination of the, the state's budget plus other dollars that comes in from federal sources. Can, can you, would you verify if that's true or not? I don't know. That's what I, what I, I have heard. The other question is, uh, <clears throat> with block grants, uh, how involved is the Senate in the, uh, I don't know if the administration or the, uh, the type of criteria that's set up for uh, citizens or, or municipalities to participate in block, you know, receiving block grant funds through block grants. And if the TANF and the also, the water issue with Jackson is for the allocation of the monies to the city and also the how tenant money is spent. Is the, is the Senate involved in, in, in that process, or how is the Senate involved in that process? Okay, well, let's take them, Charles, right from the top here. First, um, you're right, we're, our budget is uh, a little over $6 billion. When I came into uh, office three years ago, we cut the budget back to about 5.7. We did about a 2% cut. Since that time, we've um, we've had the largest tax cut ever in the history of Mississippi, half a billion dollars. But we've also um, we've also got in the bank 1.4 billion dollars. Uh, we have shrunk the size of government by about 3,000 employees, and we paid off 300 million in debt, and we'll pay off another 300 million this year. So we'll pay off 600 million in debt. So we are financially very viable. I and mean, you are correct. Our budget about a little over six billion dollars. Uh, our budget is, is probably less than half of what the total budget of the state is. Some of that is the four or five million dollars uh, extra that we get from four or five billion dollars extra that we get from Medicare and Medicaid from the federal government. Other are other government subsidies that come through, as you mentioned, TANF and whatnot. 
I've seen numbers between 15 and $20 billion, but I really have only paid more attention actually to the money that we were appropriating, so not so much the money that the federal government was appropriating. On block grants, but you are correct, but there's a huge amount of difference between the $6 billion we get and then the 15 to $20 billion that's spent by the, by the state every year. On block grants, those go through the uh, MDA, Mississippi Development Authority. Cities and counties apply for those based on a, a bunch of criteria. It could be water. It could be we have a Main Street uh, association that puts out about $5 million a year to Main Streets around Mississippi municipalities. I uh, met with them the other day on how they're going to distribute those those funds. But there are a number of different CDBG and other uh, grants. Uh, actually, there's a... Um, kind of a small um, cadre of individuals that do this for a living. So most of the cities apply through MDA and the various grants. On the TANF money, uh, yes, we uh, that does go through the Department of Health, and that's some of the excess above what we were just discussing, our $6 billion-plus budget and the actual money that's spent by the state of Mississippi. And on the TANF grants, those are subject to federal law, and although we administer them through the, de- through the Department of Human Resources, they're still... Uh, human services, they're still a um, mainly following federal law on the on the distribution of those particular funds. On water issues, that's the last one you had, and I'll, I'll quick, go quickly to it. On water issues, the legislature last year appropriately, I thought, and I'm very pleased with, uh, appropriated of the $1.5 billion or so that we appropriated out, $750 million dollars. For water and sewer, 300 million of that went to uh, rural health, uh, went to rural water associations simply to build out. and And the application process ended about a week ago, Charles. And we had 534 million dollars in applications. Those, some of those may be duplicative and may not work, but we hit pretty close there with 300 million dollars going out to rural water associations. No match, just a straight grant. We put aside $450 million for water and sewer for cities to match. And we were very blessed. Uh, we had $434 million of applications for those. And those are being scored and will be uh, released, I think, the 1st of November. Uh, there'll be a second round of that. The first 40% goes out, and then the second round will go out very shortly thereafter. Probably by the end of January will be the final designations of those. In the one that's most prevalent, which is the Jackson water situation, Jackson uh, got received $42 million in ARP money from the federal government. They have proposed to put up $37 million of that towards water and sewer. We will match that $37 million, giving them $74 million uh, for water and sewer in the city. The county got $45 million, and from American Rescue Plan money, basically sent them a check from the government. Uh, we uh, we will match any of their application that they make for water and sewer for the city of Jackson out of that $45 million. Uh, in the first period for applications that was due September the 30th, Hines County did not apply for any of it. Um, they, they have indicated that they would like to apply in the second round, so we'll see how that comes out. But if they were to apply for another 20 or $30 million, we would match that 20 or $30 million, and that, too, would go to the city to fix their water. So there's an opportunity here for over $100 million to be devoted to water just for the city. Uh, other cities uh, have ma- matching amounts. I think Vicksburg got 3 or $4 million. 
none, none of them as big as Jackson, of course, but other cities got matching amount for water and sewer. And the reason that's really important, Charles, that is long-term. That's fixing long-term things for so many cities around Mississippi. I'm really proud of the legislature matching $450 million, which basically means almost a billion dollars will go into water and sewer in Mississippi. That was money that we would have never had. So I'm, I think we've, uh, I hope that addresses all of those particular ones. All of this is public information. You can see it. Um, Department of Health handles the water applications and Department of Environmental Quality handles the water and sewer part. Thank you very much, Charles, for calling in. Remember, you can send us your email questions, legalterms at mpbonline.org. I mentioned earlier that if you wanted to, you could watch the Senate and House representatives from their galleries. But what if you don't want to make a trip to Jackson? I'll tell you how you can watch them from your own home. We'll do that next. Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, don't forget, you can listen to the whole show from MPB Think Radio's YouTube channel. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are most our local shows. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Hey, uh, in about seven minutes at 11 a.m. Central Tuesdays, following our over-the-air broadcast, you can hear Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. Did you know, in addition, you know, we've got a YouTube channel. Lieutenant Governor Holzman's got a YouTube channel. There is a House webcast and a Senate webcast and a Mississippi Legislature YouTube channel. So you just start off at their website legislature.ms.gov and you can check to see you know pick pick what you would like from the menu what you would like to see once they get into session that's legislature.ms.gov and we are talking with our lieutenant governor delbert hoseman and we're so glad to have you on in legal terms today thank you it's good to be here y'all can watch the senate it's a lot more fun <laughs> Uh, you, we really appreciate you, Lieutenant Governor, and uh, and 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 your uh, public service that you've given, as I mentioned at the top of the show. You know, throughout your career, um, tell us you got you got a busy agenda this year. You just talked a little bit about some of the things you're having to d- deal with now, but what what do you what's on the agenda for 2023, and and, and what would you like to see happen? Well, there. Uh, well, uh, I think the biggest one coming, Professor, is um, and we alluded to it a minute ago, but we. Because we cut the budget and we have shrunk the size of government from 26,000 employees to 23,000, and we paid off this debt, $300 million last year. We're not borrowing any money, and we're paying off $300 million this year. What we're finding is that we have a really significant cash flow. I think we're, we're, we had $1.4 billion in cash at the end of last year. At our year ends June the 30th. And so we we have seven hundred million in our rainy day fund and three hundred and fifty million dollars in our American Rescue Plan money that's left over that we did not allocate. So the first thing uh, going in reverse order, I guess the American Rescue Plan Act money uh, we've had Senate hearings on how this money is being spent and making sure that it's being spent well. And then we will look at um, increasing possibly our transportation budget um, this past year. We allocated $2.1 billion to roads and built bridges in Mississippi, um, to highways in Mississippi. 
this last year we signed uh, contracts to begin work on $963 million worth of roads and bridges in Mississippi, the largest ever uh, by almost a multiple of two that has ever been done. So we're getting, we're actually getting the money, and it's actually getting on the streets, so to speak, uh, out in uh, the cities. The counties are getting some of this $100 million for county bridges. We, we really are allocating those funds out, and their applications appear that we may be able to devote some more of these funds to that. Uh, we also devoted funds to mental health and child protective services, which is just really uh, heart-rendering. We have over 4,000 children in our care at one time or another, and we've asked a study group. I talked about Senator Boyd is leading that on, leading that on women, children, and families. And um, it's looking at, at how we deal with adoption, how we deal with um, children birthed uh, three years old in Mississippi, including this postpartum we've also discussed already today. And how I expect some legislation coming out of that on how we're going to reimburse parents that keep these children, also where we can get safe houses for these children. Uh, there is human trafficking in, in various parts of this state and um, just just you just tear your heart out uh, to see what some of these children are going through. So uh, there's a there's a large appetite to put more more funds in that, in addition to our roads and bridges, and in addition to the postpartum and the other work that we're, we're that we're talking about here, the additional funds we've got. Um, there are other other issues like I, I mentioned earlier, early education. Um, you know, our four-year the capacity of four-year-olds to public education—that's really important. We've doubled that to 16 million a year. You'll see that we're big proponents of the modified calendar, which means you go four semesters in public schools in Corinth and Oak Grove and Gulfport on those, and they'll see funding to move Mississippians out of the just the way we always did it to. I hate to do this. So whatever. We got a long list. I hate to do this, but we're out of time. Hey, but I do know that our lieutenant governor is on Twitter. So if you want to find out what he's up to, check out his his Twitter feed. We just can't thank you enough for giving us some of your busy time to come uh, listen and and talk to to Mississippi. Everybody, we're going to have a really good year next year in Mississippi. It's a great place to have grandchildren. I had one today. I'm so excited for you to have to have that. We're really excited too. We appreciate uh, him being on the show today. We appreciate our crew, Jay White, our intern Charles Arnold, and for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Thanks for tuning in to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.